Hello and welcome all of my artists, art lovers, and creatives of all kinds. This is Raven's Fine Art. My name is Raven. And today we are going to be moving on to chapter four of the book, Picasso and the Art of Drawing by Christopher Lloyd. So happy new year, before I forget to say, welcome to 2022. By the time you listen to this, we will be deep into 2022. Um, so I am considering uh, moving on from this book after this week. Um, there are more chapters in the book, but I feel like this chapter is a great summary of what we're talking about. The purpose of this series is to talk about successful artists so that we can imitate their example. So I'm considering moving on to either Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill uh, from an artist's perspective, or going through the book um, How to Sell Art Online by Corey Huff, which is also an intriguing book. So if you have an opinion of whether I should continue on with Picasso, uh, go through Think and Grow Rich, or do the How to Sell Art Online book, please drop me a line. I will leave a link in the description so that you can let me know what your opinion is. Otherwise, I may just flip a coin. So anyway, for today, we are going to be talking about the iconic painting of Picasso's called Les Demoiselles d'Avignon. Um, so the question for today is what goes into the process of creating a groundbreaking piece of art? So of course there are no maps, there are no rule books, but there are some strategies that seem to help. And I think if we look at Picasso's life um, during this time, we can glean some important uh, tips and tools for becoming um, wonderful artists ourselves and creating groundbreaking work. So stay tuned. All right, so I think the first tip we can glean from Picasso is his use of healthy comparisons. Uh, being aware of what your industry colleagues are up to and finding your place, I believe, is a key um, way to innovate yourself. So on page 61, I'm going to read this quote here. So the works associated with the Rose period, which we went over last week, reveal how eager he was to absorb the lessons to be learned from not only the old masters, but also his immediate forebears in French art. At the same time, he was becoming more aware of the progress being made by his immediate contemporaries, such as Matisse, André Derain, and Kies van Dongen. When he first came across these artists, they were producing canvases dominated by bright colors and dynamic brushwork. Picasso probably first met Matisse, who was 12 years older, in 1906. Viewing the Frenchman's luxe, calm et velopté, at the Salon des Indépendants in 1905, and Le Bombeur de Vivre at the same location the following year, must have been a revelation for Picasso, who may have considered his own work to be rather tame uh, in comparison. 
indeed the encounter may have motivated him to declare his own individuality more stridently. Okay, so this is important. So he was looking around at people like Matisse and these other artists and feeling a little, feeling a certain way about his own art in comparison. Um, but what's important is that they didn't cause him to get down on himself like so many artists do. Um, that's not Picasso's style anyway. Uh, but notice his example. He's like, okay, that's really cool what they're doing, these bright colors and dynamic brushwork. So I think I need to look into that. Um, but he was determined to do it his own way. So he wasn't feeling inferior. He wasn't feeling competitive in a negative way. He was like, okay, like what can I get from that? and how can I make it my own? So that is really cool. Uh, so another point in terms of doing groundbreaking work, at least putting the ingredients in to make that more likely, is using place as inspiration. So traveling and just taking a change of pace. So another quote, that is on page 61 and 62 talks about um, Picasso's approach to this. So around this time, okay, so ironically, he found greater stimulus to do this, meaning become more individual and uh, more creative, by leaving Paris. So it's interesting that he came to Paris because Paris was the hub of the art world, but when he needed to make a breakthrough, he left Paris, okay? so. He found greater stimulus to do this by leaving Paris for brief periods in the consecutive summers of 1905 and 1906, rather than staying in the capital of the art world. Picasso's development throughout his life was based on a continuing engagement with tradition, but it was also very closely linked to his sense of place and his personal circumstances. What resulted from this short period of self-examination, his years in the wilderness, as it were, was Les Demoiselles d'Avignon, a truly revolutionary work and the foundation stone of modern art. Okay, so that's quite a thing to be able to say. So you created a piece that is seen as the foundation of modern art. Okay. Um, so he was really keen on respecting what came before him, but he was determined to surpass it. So that's another key quality of Picasso. He was never one to poo-poo the past, um, but he knew that he was never content to stay there. So this other quote is also in page 62. The significance of Les Demoiselles d'Avignon is that its composition and style, particularly in the treatment of the figures, immediately and irrevocably released Picasso and subsequently the whole of art from the embrace of the past. The paradox was that while the picture undeniably invokes tradition, Picasso managed concurrently to demolish the accepted precepts of Western European painting. Although he always remained respectful of the past, he did not want to be a prisoner of it and he would have agreed with the view expressed by Cezanne in a letter written to Roger Marx on the 23rd of January, 1905, Cezanne wrote, quote, in my opinion, one does not replace the past, one only adds a new link, unquote. 
So continuing on, Les Demoiselles d'Avignon therefore is the first outward display of Picasso's determination to dominate, manipulate, and above all, to reinterpret the art that had preceded him. Okay, so that says it in a nutshell. He's going above and beyond. All right, so going back to the notion of travel and a change of pace as the impetus for new and innovative work, so Picasso traveled to the, Never to the Netherlands in 1905 and uh, he went to the Pyrenees in 1906. So he was invited to the Netherlands by a friend who he had met through another friend. So notice the importance of the network, okay? So this guy had a cottage in the Netherlands, so he was allowed to stay there and he eventually ended up staying in a, in a hostel or hotel or something like that because it was too small. Um, but he didn't bring his girlfriend, Olivier, on this trip. Um, but he did bring a couple of sketchbooks that he filled up with the beautiful landscapes of the area. Um, so he had been mostly doing the figures. So when he went to the Netherlands, it really opened his mind up and he started like, I mean, the Netherlands, I haven't been there yet, <laughs> but it's so beautiful and the beautiful green landscapes, I'm sure were inspirational. So it, it helped him to branch out and to, you know, draw something different instead of just people all the time. Um, but he didn't really stick with landscapes. He did move on, not move on, but he did incorporate still life um, into his art. So this certainly opened him up. So out of this trip came a couple of awesome mixed media pieces, uh, The Three Dutch Girls and La Belle Hollandaise, which both came out in 1905. Now, if you look at La Belle Hollandaise, this beautiful Dutch girl, naked, of course, she had a hat on. She was naked except for a hat. <laughs> so maybe this is why he didn't bring Olivier. <laughs> Who knows? Uh, but anyway, so after that, he moved on the, ne the next year to the Pyrenees. And this time he did take his girlfriend and they stayed in Gosol, which is a small and isolated village. Um, so let me read from this quote. So this trip to the Pyrenees was significant. So in contrast with Picasso's trip to Northern Europe, his journey to the Pyrenees was a return to his homeland and enabled him to savor the roots of his artistic heritage at a time of rising Catalan nationalism. On this occasion, he was accompanied by Olivier, who observed, quote, Pablo is quite different in Spain. He's more cheerful, not so wild, more sparkling and animated, and he takes a calmer, more balanced view of things. He seems to be at ease. He glows with happiness, so unlike the kind of person he is in Paris, where he seems shy and inhibited, as if the atmosphere is alien to him, unquote. Okay, so this is his girlfriend talking. So, you know, she knows him, obviously, they're living together, um, but he opened up when he was back in his homeland. It, it sort of tapped into probably some old memories, a certain level of comfort when you go back home, um, and he wasn't trying to move back there or anything. Although from the girlfriend's description, she was probably like thinking like, maybe he wants to move here. That'd be great. <laughs> like, I like this Picasso. Uh, but anyway, so sometimes going back home can really open you up. And, you know, so much of the time we're trying to escape home, you know, when we're trying to branch out and grow up, 
but sometimes just going back and feeling the familiarity. It's familiar, but it's different because you're older now, you've moved on in your life. So coming back can can really open you up. And, and so that's what happened with Picasso. Um, so then there's another quote on page 66 that's really amazing. So Picasso and Olivier lived very simply in the only inn at Gossel. They observed local customs and joined in the various festivals that took place during the summer. Picasso went hunting in the mountains and made excursions with the villagers. Drawings made of the local population, either posed or done at random, are notable for the elegant outlines, fine shading, and nuanced highlights. Olivier, the girlfriend, was of the opinion that there was, quote, much stronger emotion and sensitivity in these drawings than anything he's done in Paris, okay? So again, it just speaks to um, this place sort of bringing out something in him that was new and original. Um, and also, because the this village that they were in was so isolated, he had to actually rely on his memory more than he used to, and he had to use his imagination. So obviously he was drawing the villagers and, you know, he was participating in their festivities. He sort of jumped into the hunting. He kind of just, you know, jumped right in with the lifestyle. Um, but because it was isolated, he did do a lot more works from memory and imagination. And that can really be a, a breakthrough. So when you change your process in some way, so if you're used to doing out of imagination, if you start doing from observation, or vice versa, which is more common if you're used to working from observation. If you switch it up and start working from memory and imagination, uh, just doing that, changing up your process can really open you up for some originality and some innovation. Okay, so the outcome of these trips was a new version of the female figure. So previously his figures were more angular, like from the rose period and the blue period. Um, he was doing more line work, um, but the new version of the female uh, figure, so these ladies were coming out with less line. It was more focused on form. The bodies were thicker and heavier, and they had a more sculptural look. So he was certainly changing his, um, his signature look for his females. All right, so let's talk about Les Demoiselles. So obviously this, we talked about it already as being a breakthrough piece of art, but at first it just sat in his studio. So he made it, he worked really hard on it. He has a, a ton of preparatory sketches for it, um, but it did just sit in his studio. Uh, who knows the reason? Probably he was trying to figure out, okay, now what do I do with this? Um, and he did have some friends who came by and to see it and they were of split opinion. So some of his friends thought like, wow, like you are a genius. This is so new. This is great. And others of his friends thought, you know, I think Picasso's finally snapped. He's finally lost it. What is going on? Okay. Uh, so that's where the work sat for a while, just in his studio, but it did ended up going to a patron. Uh, so I wanted to read that. So, uh, the picture was not publicly exhibited until 1916 in wartime Paris at Paul Poiret's Salon d'Antin. And its first owner was the fashion designer Jacques Doucette, who bought it on the recommendation of the surrealist poet André Breton. 
So that's another um, nod to the importance of the network. So um, somebody recommended it, his poet friend recommended it to somebody who's collecting modern art. And so he bought it. So I'm gonna hammer this home and for myself as well, because I'm not good at this, but you got to take care of your network. Your network is going to feed you as an artist. All right, so Les Demoiselles d'Avignon. So this was a groundbreaking piece of art for a lot of reasons, but it's interesting to note that the title is not really representative of what's in the art. So um, the title Les Demoiselles d'Avignon means the young women of Avignon. The painting is not set in Avignon and these technically are not demoiselles. So demoiselles are like young ladies. Now they, they're women but they're not necessarily young and they wouldn't be considered ladies because they're, you know, um, sex workers. Um, so that's a whole nother issue, but so, you know, the title is a little bit weird. Um, but, uh, they were originally, this, this painting was originally not supposed to be only women anyway. So in his preparatory sketches, he had had two men in the preparatory sketches um, and they were going to be, you know, the patrons of the brothel, the, the Johns, as you, you know, if you will. Um, but he decided to take them out in the final piece, which is interesting. Um, so and it's interesting when you look at the preparatory sketches, um, eliminating the men did improve the composition. Um, but I don't know if that's the only reason why he removed them, um, whether he meant to or not it went beyond just merely improving the composition. It really becomes a lot more confrontational without the men there. Because with the men there, you know, in the midst of these prostitutes, it's kind of more ordinary in a sense. I mean, other painters have depicted brothels, so that in and of itself was not so groundbreaking. Um, but when we're, if we're just looking at men in the midst of a brothel, it's easier to take on a more judgmental and also a more removed perspective because you're just, oh, like, look at these men at the brothel. You can, you know, click your tongue at it and shake your head, you know, or, or just look at it. I mean, it doesn't necessarily make an impact. But the way it stands with the ladies all gathered, you know, in these provocative poses and looking dead at you, it's a lot more confrontational because you become the patron. So... What does that say? You know, what does that mean? You know, and it's interesting to really think about this painting because Picasso was just like, you know, any, any man really. I mean, he was directing his art at other men primarily because they were seen as, you know, the audience. Um, they are the voyeurs in, in this sense. So I can't imagine, you know, what a man of that time would have thought. I can only imagine or, or hypothesize what I think. What I would guess, you know, being a man looking at this painting is that there would be a certain sense of discomfort and guilt because the average man going to a brothel, I mean, it was accepted in a sense, but it was unaccepted in a sense. It's one of those things where, yeah, you do it, but you don't like let people know that you're doing it. You certainly, it's certainly not something to brag about. It's just something that, you know, men were expected to do occasionally, um, especially single men. Um, but it's, again, it's not something you'd want to get caught doing. <laughs> um, and it's something that you, that would carry with it a certain sense of shame. Um, but so if you're looking at it, not just looking at men in a brothel, but you yourself as the patron, 
I think it puts you, cause you're, you'll be looking at this painting in the midst of other people. So it brings something that would normally be hidden and shameful right out into the public. So you're looking at this, at these women, um, and you are participating in it in front of other people. Um, and it's also noteworthy how he made these women so different. I mean, these are not, these, you know, women are more ghastly and they're more disfigured. And so it makes everything just more like, like the one with the spread legs. Like we're not even trying to be coquettish or cute or flirty. Like here it is, boom, <laughs> you know, and the masks are hideous and they're scary and you know, it's raw. So it's very confrontational. Um, but looking at it as a woman, now I can't imagine what a woman of the time would have thought. Um, probably also discomfort looking at it as a woman now, you know, there's a certain level for me at least of compassion, you know, people go into sex work for all different kinds of reasons. Um, and I'm not a fan of sex work. I think it's a shame how, you know, it can be so easy to sort of, you know, cheat on your spouse or, you know, spread disease perhaps. So I'm not so much a fan of sex workers, but they're people and they deserve respect and they deserve, you know, if you're going to, especially if you're going to patronize, um, a brothel, then you don't have the right to look down on these women. And so for so long, and even now there's like this sort of, um, mixed feeling. It's like, yeah, we nod and wink at it. We allow it to go on because there's a market for it. Obviously there will always be a market for sex work. It's called the oldest profession for a reason. Uh, but then, you know, the society is hypocritical and looking down on it. So, you know, I don't like that at all. I, I hate that worse than the sex work. It's like, if it's going to exist, then, you know, you don't have a right to look down on these women. So I like the boldness of the women. I like the confrontation of the women. It's like, hey, you, you know, come on in. <laughs> this is what you came for. Have a look. Um, so that was really interesting. All right, so that is Les Demoiselles d'Avignon. So what are the takeaways from this particular piece of work for me and this whole period in Picasso's life? So the first takeaway is that a healthy comparison with your peers can be highly motivating and can push you beyond your comfort zone. So don't get into the habit like so many artists do of like, you know, this whole negative self-worth and you know, downtrodden attitudes so many artists have like, and you know, I can fall prey to it too, but it's really unattractive and it's really a betrayal of your gift. Like we all have different, you know, gifts. So, you know, one artist has one thing, one artist has another. Some people like Picasso, some people hate him. Picasso wasn't worried about it and neither should you. Um, but what he did was he took his, um, rivals, if you will, as inspiration, not as some reason to feel bad about himself. So yay for Pablo Picasso. <laughs> so let's imitate that. And the next takeaway is that travel is good for the soul and it is good for one's art, especially if you bring your sketchbook and you fill it up. So if you are going to travel, which I highly recommend, and you know, again, this is something for me too. I have a day job that doesn't allow for any kind of time off, which is my motivation for getting free is that I want to live my life. I don't want to just be a slave to someone else's dream. And I know that travel is really good for the soul and it's certainly good for your art. So if you're going to travel, bring your sketchbook for sure. 
and consider traveling alone. I mean, Picasso took one of these trips on his own without his girlfriend so that he had the time and the focus to really just focus on his work. So I highly recommend this. Next, drawing from imagination and memory can open up some new avenues of exploration. So it's not just the drawing from imagination. I believe it's, it's also just changing up your process. So if you're used to doing things a certain way, you've got your process all dialed in and very efficient, that's great. And you can do that, you know, like most of the time, but it's really good to switch it up and to, to branch out from that and to try a different process because it can really spark something in you that you didn't know was there. Next takeaway is if you're getting strong mixed reviews about your work, you are probably on to something. So Picasso is very successful, but he didn't escape criticism. <laughs> just like you're not going to escape criticism, just like I'm not going to escape criticism. Uh, but don't take that as a negative. So if people are talking crap about your work, take it as a good sign. I mean, remember that people thought Picasso was crazy and yet look at his career. So if you're getting mixed reviews, don't feel bad about it, celebrate it. And last but not least, to be a significant artist requires you to be bold, okay? No shrinking violets allowed, okay? You need to push past your fear and try stuff. It's a risk, but the greater the risk, the greater the potential reward. So there is no safety. If you're going to pursue this path, you can forget about safety. You're not going to make innovative work by playing it safe. It's just, it's just not a thing. So if you're going to be a real artist and by real artist, I mean somebody who takes their craft and their gift the, all the way full out the full Monty, if that's who you want to be, you're going to have to be brave. You're going to have to be bold. Okay. So that is it for this week. Drop me a line, as I mentioned before. Let me know if you want me to move on to Think and Grow Rich for Artists or if you want to talk about how to sell your art online. Um, both of those books, I think, would be wonderful to go through at the beginning of the year um, and I think would be really helpful for us as artists. Um, but if I don't hear back, I will flip a coin and make a decision. So until then, have a wonderful and productive week. Bye-bye.